Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. All right. Okay. Great. Thanks. Uh, you guys are not very lively this morning. Probably understandable. Uh, quick side note, anecdotal story. Uh, when I was first teaching and learning to speak publicly, um, I got invited by a local community college to come and share the gospel message at, at, at this community college, which was not Christian. And uh, I stood in their quad area, like the center part of the school, right at the lunch break hour. And they had to give me 15 minutes to teach a message and wanted me to teach the gospel in 15 minutes. And it was the most awkward thing I've ever done in my life because literally nobody paid attention or cared what I was doing or what I was saying. So needless to say, I'm in comfort here. So uh, thank you guys for coming. Uh, Happy Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Does anybody know why we celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Does anybody know the real reason? Because it's not Mexican Independence Day. Does anybody know that? What? Beer, discounted tacos. Yeah. Real California heritage. We get it, right? Okay. Was it? Mexican French War? I mean, I don't know. You probably know better than me. Yeah, something like that. Well, uh, welcome uh, if it's your first time or if you've not been with us before. A couple things about Vox. Uh, the Eucharist is the, the center and the heart and the focus of what we do. It's why we gather. Uh, we really find that the Eucharist um, brings us all together from different back- backgrounds, um, ways of thinking, uh, different expressions, and it really levels the playing field and invites us all. It says, here, you're welcome at this place. So we practice open communion. Everybody is welcome to that, and we'll spend the most amount of our time in the service around that portion. Uh, for us, as you experience worship, and it's different different expression corporately, um, you'll find that we give invitation and not coercion. So you're simply invited to worship however you feel best. Um, if you come from a background of standing and raise your hands, feel free to do that. If you want to sit, um, if you want to pray, however you want to, um, you are free to do that in this place. And then lastly, our teaching. Um, we don't believe the teaching is the center or focal point, which is a little bit contrary to what you experience in church today. Uh, but really for us, we see the value in having different ideas, different thoughts um, theologically, and so you'll see that we have different speakers who come in and share different things and we actually think that makes us better Uh, gives us ability to think outside of our own box and maybe be a little bit uncomfortable but that's okay Uh, we also believe that this is a safe place to ask any questions so if you have any questions about the service about the message about what we what we do about this expression um, there's a text number Uh, I think we have it on the screen here you can text the number during the service or afterwards and we uh, try our best to get back and give a response to those uh, as quickly as we can so that number will be up Um, feel free to text it at any point So, uh, next week, Mother's Day, we will be here, so please bring your mothers. Um, It should be a great morning. Uh, We'll probably do something special outside on the patio for the mothers, and so I want to let you know about that, that that's a a place to invite. So, without further ado, we're going to get into it. This morning, I'm going to bring out my friend Wes, who was with us recently, and you guys probably met Wes before. Um, He was very well received last time. He spoke on forgiveness, and uh, I'm sure he's got a great one this morning. Um, Wes, how's things? Good. Yeah? yeah? You good? Okay. Uh, Wes is going to share this morning, so please welcome Wes. Thanks, Ronnie. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been great to be here. I love this church. I love getting to hear the hearts of the volunteers, the community pastors here, uh, the heart of Vox. I didn't grow up in church. I spent no amount of time in church. All that I knew about God or theology, I learned through television or what Tupac had to say, that only God could judge him. Like That was the extent of my spiritual understanding. And 
when I stepped into church, it only got more confusing. I didn't understand the rituals. I didn't speak the language. I didn't speak Christianese. When people up, up front in worship would say things like uh, fellowship or we're going to enter the presence of God and God, would you wash us in the blood of the lamb? Hosanna, save us. It was all confusing and it was all hard for me to understand. And then I would look to my left or to my right to see if anyone else was confused. And I would see people with their eyes closed and their hands in the air, swaying side to side. And I just thought these people are straight crazy. Uh, But I love that Vox is a place that welcomes you wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Like wherever you are, if you're brand new, uh, or you've been in the church for a long time and you've thought critically about your faith and you actually, uh, you've devoted yourself to following Jesus, wherever you are in that journey, I love that you're welcome to text in questions, to ask, to think through your faith, to, to have these conversations. Now, there are a lot of conversations that happen in church, theological conversations, uh, conversations about the Bible or Genesis and creation and is the creation account literal and worship styles and what's appropriate for music and uh, what's the best Bible translation and spiritual gifts and leadership. And we have a lot of conversations in church. Uh, And I think they're good conversations. I think they're helpful conversations. I think Vox is a place that values the conversation which is beautiful. You guys do workshops um, on different things. But I think there's, I don't want to say the only necessary conversation, but I'll say it this way. I think there's a most necessary conversation, and that's around Jesus and who he is and the life that he lived. We're not too far removed from Easter where we talk about his death and his resurrection, but for someone who spent his first 20 years outside of the church, I had seen Jesus on crosses, I had heard about his name, I had heard about Easter, but I'd never heard his own words. I'd never heard about the life that he lived, who he spent his time with, what he said about people and what he valued, what he called his followers to do, what he said was important. Uh, Now, this morning I wanna just have a very brief, uh, but very pointed conversation around Jesus. Because all other conversations, if you're going to come to a transformative relationship where you follow God and aim your life at being with him and who he's called you to be, it's not going to be because you landed on your understanding of the Genesis account. None of us here are going to be saved by whether or not we've determined whether Genesis was a literal creation or a poem. But for all of us, the most important conversation we're going to have to have together is around Jesus and who he said he was. So I want to talk about that today uh, really briefly, but I want to pray for us, and then I'll jump in, and and we'll get going. But let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take our time together and that you would make it meaningful. Uh, Would you make it powerful? Would you make it encouraging? Would you make it healing? Uh, like only you can, God. Uh, We are a people gathered. We're gathered around you. We're gathered for you. um, And we absolutely need you. I need you. We need you uh, to be here, to be with us. So would you do so, God? We thank you that you love us and that you're for us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. So in John 6, 35, Jesus makes this statement that I want to talk about today. He says this, 
I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus making a claim to be the bread of life. But I want to give you a little bit of context before we keep going. Jesus has started his ministry. He's done miracles. He's healed the sick. He's begun to teach. He's gathered a following now. And right before Jesus makes this claim, he feeds thousands miraculously. And it's told, uh, starting in verse 4, it says this, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. Uh, That's around eight months worth of wages. No small sum of money. And then it says, one of, his, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Uh, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The n- men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And it says, when they were full, he told the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, truly, this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus does this miracle, and he provides an abundance they, they argue, they articulate, hey, we don't have enough. We couldn't pay for this. This is an impossible issue. And it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, brings a boy with five loaves and two fish. But the Greek's actually more specific. It's not that Andrew said, hey, look, this boy has a lunch for his family. It's the idea that the boy was actually inquiring. That it was actually the child who brought forward this offering. And we see Jesus do something miraculous, and he feeds thousands with it. And he does something that he's well known for, that's well talked about. Uh, Now, Jesus is setting himself up to be viewed a particular way. The idea of God providing bread wasn't new for the Jewish people. They understood manna, or bread being provided in the desert. They understood their prophets, Elisha multiplying food, multiplying bread, Jesus is setting himself up to be viewed as a provider, to be viewed as powerful. They even say this is the prophet who's been promised. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses spoke of a prophet that would come after him and be like him. Jesus is setting himself up amongst the powerful, those who can provide, and the prophets. He's setting himself up to be viewed this way. Uh, Now, all of us, All of us have some idea of things that we believe will satisfy us. Uh, For me, it's coffee in the morning and silence. I believe these things together to be satisfactory, and I enjoy them. Uh, Those things can be improved. It can be silence, coffee, and banana bread. Um, Oh, glorious banana bread. But we all believe that there are things that can satisfy us, whether it's 
achievements, accomplishments, things that can be successful, a goal, personal, financial, physical, save enough money to buy a house, run a marathon, lose weight, whatever that might be. And I'm not even here to tell you in church that none of those things satisfy. Trust me, if you set a goal, I don't know why you would, but if you would set a goal to run 26 miles straight and you accomplish that goal, like, God bless you. But I'm sure that's going to bring about some amount of satisfaction. I'm not actually here to argue that achievement or accomplishments or experiences, time away with family, uh, time to experience the beauty of God's creation, uh, mastering a craft, studying something thoroughly that you're passionate about. I'm actually here to tell you that those things aren't satisfactory. But I am saying that when Jesus is setting himself up as a provider, he's not arguing against other things being satisfactory, but he is beginning to present himself as one who is deeply satisfying. For those of us who have pursued achievement or accomplishment, we always know that there is always the next achievement or accomplishment. Or for the artist in the room, the great fear of the artist is that we're only as good as our last work. We're only as good as our last performance. Will you ever write anything or create anything as good as the last thing you created? Will it ever be enough? Will the relationships in your life ever be enough or will there always be room for it to get better? Will there always be another level to get to that will be ultimately satisfying? And this is really the crux of what Jesus is getting to because after he feeds the 5,000 people, he calls these people together. He's done miracles. He's healed the sick. He's now provided food for them. And he goes on to the other side of the Sea of Galilee He walks on water. They're not sure that he's there. There was one boat. His disciples got in it, but no one saw Jesus get in it. Nevertheless, they go in search of Jesus, and they find him on the other side. Now, these people aren't traditional believers in Jesus. Nobody was. In fact, it was around the time of the Passover. They had places to be. They should have been at the temple, but they're wandering around the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. They've seen him do work. They've seen him do miracles, multiple miracles, different kinds of miracles. They've listened to his teaching. They've brought their kids on road trips to listen to what Jesus has to say. These people have faith, okay? If you've ever loaded a child into a vehicle to get them anywhere on God's green earth, you have quite an amount of faith. You believe in where you're going and what you need to do. And these people are there. And Jesus talks to him, and he says this in verse 26. Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man, this being Jesus, will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Again, Jesus isn't saying, stop going to work. Jesus isn't giving dietary advice. He's not advocating for that. He's actually cutting more deeply. He's cutting to the heart of the issue. He's saying, yes, you need, br- you need bread. Yes, you need to work. Ye- I'm not commenting on those things, but I've been with you as a people, and you've worked 
and you've strived and you toil. And I'm telling you that I'm offering you something better, something more deeply satisfying. And they reply, what can we do to perform the works of God? Jesus makes them an offer. He says, I'll give you this bread. And they say, okay, how much? What do we have to do? And Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Many of us show up in church asking, what's the work of God that I can do it? I'm here, I believe, the ideals of grace and forgiveness and mercy and loving one's neighbor and justice and reconciliation, those are compelling things. These are beautiful ideals. Well, what's the work? Jesus, the offer of bread, something that satisfies, it's compelling, but what do I need to do? What are the works of God that we might do them? Now, they had their own ideas as first century Jews, but let's not be misled in thinking that we don't have our own ideas of the works of God now. Whether it's spiritual disciplines or practices, whether it's giving, whether it's time spent in church, what are the works that I need to do? How often do I need to show up? How many weekends a month do I need to be in church? How frequently do I need to study my Bible? How much do I need to have memorized? How much do I need to tithe? What's necessary? How moral is moral enough? What are the works? What do I need to do? This rings true in an, in an American culture that says you are what you do. You are individually responsible for yourself. What do I need to do? This is our question. And Jesus replies, this is the work that you believe in the one whom he sent. This is the work that you believe. Jesus has not only offered bread that satisfies, but he offers it for free. Now, I didn't grow up in Orange County. Uh, I did, but then things got real expensive when we moved out where things are real cheap in the Inland Empire. I've got a 951 area code on my phone number which people judge me for when I give it out. They're like, did you say 951? You sure it's not 94? No, it's 951. We're all on a journey. It's all right. And I loved coffee when I was in Riverside. But again, I mentioned earlier this thing called banana bread, and they sell it at the coffee shop where I study and where I write. Now, banana bread is good, and banana bread is glorious, but... Only in Orange County is banana bread $3.50 a slice, okay? And I go to a coffee shop where they have this brand new, beautiful, like, technology where you can slide your car and they turn it around and face it at you and it says, would you like to give a tip? $1, $2, $3 or a custom thing? And I'm such a sucker that I feel bad. Like, are you going to stare at me while I decide to not give you a tip? Fine. Here's a dollar. Here's five bucks for a piece of bread that I'm going to consume in 12 seconds. That's not a big deal to you. Like, look, I don't shop for groceries at Whole Foods. Like, this is a deal. If I'm spending five bucks on a slice and not a loaf, this is a financial decision that me and my wife probably should have discussed. And yet Jesus 
is offering them free bread. He's offering them satisfaction for free. Just believe, just trust. And look at their response. John 6, uh, 632. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from, oh, excuse me, wrong verse, Uh, verse 30. This is their response. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people had seen Jesus do miracles, They had followed him. They had brought their kids to follow him. They had abandoned their tradition. They're not at the temple for Passover. He's filled them. He's given them food. He's taught them. He's offered them something that's more deeply satisfying. He's offered it for free. And their response is, hold on a second. We need proof. Perform a sign that we may believe. Hey, remember Moses? He gave us bread in the wilderness. They followed Jesus. Jesus has provided. Jesus has promised to provide more deeply and for free, and yet they're defensive. They want to have theological conversations. They want to argue for the traditions of the past. Who responds to free things this way? Who responds to free offers this way? The heart of the issue is really Jesus beginning to move himself closer and closer to the center of what he's doing. See, it was one thing when Jesus was providing bread. It's becoming another thing when Jesus is beginning to point to himself as the bread. For Jesus to be a giver of gifts is one thing, but Jesus is not just acting like he's giving out gifts. He's beginning to present himself as the gift. And there's beginning to be tension around that. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. As Jesus is speaking, there's absolutely someone in the crowd saying, I know this joker isn't calling himself bread right now. I told you we shouldn't have come out here. We should be at the temple. But now we got this loony tune talking about he's come down from heaven. And then Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. (laughs) I told you he was crazy. We shouldn't be here. We're following a rabbi who's now saying he's come down from heaven. He's calling himself the bread of life. He goes on and says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Verse 66, from that moment on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, Do you? Everyone was okay with following Jesus when he was offering 
the bread. The issue really was when Jesus stated that he was the bread. And as the tide started to turn and the heat started to turn up, Jesus doesn't back away from putting himself at the center of what he's doing. Jesus making it clear that he wasn't present to provide more bread or better bread. And it's easy to approach Jesus and ask for more bread. But Jesus wasn't interested in providing more of the things that people would have already contended didn't satisfy. Jesus, give us more of that thing that never filled us but for a few moments. Jesus, give me more. Everything would be okay if I was more successful. God, if I just had more, if I could acquire more, Great, Jesus, give us more bread. In fact, this bread that you have sounds nice. Give us better bread. And it's easy to ask Jesus for a better career, a better job. Maybe we want the same job. We just want a better boss. God, give us a better relationship. Maybe not a better relationship, but a better spouse. Give us a better living situation. Give me a better family, a better home life. More and better those are okay, God, but when you start saying that it's you, that you are the bread, that's when people started to walk away. That's when the thousands and the hundreds who had followed him started to turn around. When Jesus made it clear that the gift he was presenting was himself, was a relationship with him, Jesus demonstrated he was capable of healing the sick. Jesus demonstrated that he could take the offering of a child and multiply it and use it to provide for hundreds and thousands, which is beautiful. Jesus is able to provide. Jesus is able to heal. He's able to move powerfully. But at the center of what God is communicating, when we look at Jesus' life, is that he himself is the gift that is offered. So Jesus asks, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter speaks up. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes when I'm at home, uh, I'm watching television or whatever we're doing, get hungry like you do, and I'll get up and I'll walk over to the fridge and I'll open up the fridge and I'll look into the fridge and there'll be nothing in the fridge. I'll close the fridge door, walk back, have a seat. And then in 15 minutes, when I'm still hungry, I'll get up, walk back to that fridge, open up the door, look inside, discover apparently there's still nothing in there. Has anyone ever walked back to a fridge they already knew was empty? Maybe repeatedly? You know, three episodes of Game of Thrones later, and there's still nothing in that fridge. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe it. When I was growing up, I was familiar 
with the inside of an empty fridge. Um, and if you're familiar with the inside of an empty fridge, as you grow up, you begin to learn that that fridge is empty at a particular time of the month, and then a paycheck comes in, and then it's full. But you begin to understand, oh, if that's empty now, it's going to be empty for the next few days. It's going to be empty until this date marked on the calendar. And you just learn. And as a kid, you learn to stay out, to figure out ways to eat. As an adult, I've been familiar with the inside of an empty fridge. And then you feel more frustration, personal frustration. The empty fridge is a symbol of your failure to provide, your failure to feed yourself, to provide what you need to be satisfied. I think Peter is someone who is familiar with the inside of an empty fridge. And not only that it's empty, but not possessing the ability to fill that fridge. Some of you haven't struggled that way, and that's not been your struggle, keeping a fridge at home full of food and almond milk, whatever, isn't your problem. But have you come to a place in any arena of your life where you've had to see the end of your own ability to provide? Where you've had to come to the end of your own control, your own ability? See, I think that Peter was familiar with the end of himself familiar with his own limitations. When Peter started following Jesus, it wasn't because Peter had seen Jesus do miracles and provide bread. It was that Jesus had stepped into Peter's boat, called him by name, and when Peter said, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, Jesus said, Peter, I know you, and I have the purpose for you. So when Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, are you going to go too? Peter's response is naturally, go where? You're it. It's always been you. It was never the bread. It was never the fish. It was never about better or more. Jesus, it was that you saw me, you called my name, and you called me to be with you. You gave me a place to stand beside you, to sit at your feet. When I would have neglected and rejected myself, you did not, but you called me closer. You knelt to be with me. At the heart of our faith, isn't the offer of more or better bread It's the offer of a relationship with the bread, Jesus, who makes the bold and audacious claim that he can satisfy, that he can meet you where you are, that it's free, that he calls you by name and says, come to me, I offer you the bread of life, I offer you it freely. This is the invitation 
of our faith. Not to be baptized in individual achievement, in religious hierarchy, but to say, I offer you myself. That's where it starts. That's where it's going to end. Peter and Jesus both understood that. And that's my hope and that's my prayer for you as a church and as a community. That you would know that the Jesus who called you by name in the beginning continues to call you now. That it was never about miracles, but it was always about a God who knew you and saw you and called you. But I'd love to pray for you before we respond. God, I want to pray um, over this beautiful community that you've brought together. Jesus, I thank you that you've made yourself beautiful to them, that you've called them, that you've drawn them. God, would you speak to them like only you can, whether it's through people filled with your spirit, speaking life to them. God, whether it's it's mystery that we can't control or contain, whether it's you and your spirit speaking, whatever that looks like, God. But I pray for clarity of your voice to your people, that you are with them and you are for them and you are near to them. So I thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.